This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To mind escape. Are you ready? Are you ready to escape your All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have, let's see here, episode 299. Uh, we're we're approaching 300. It's been a long journey, well, six years, a little over six years, and almost 300 episodes, and um, yeah, it's been quite the ride. But uh, here we are, 299 tonight. Uh, we have uh bald scientist podcast oh okay that's not an insult that's the name of it it's called the bald scientist uh larry david would be proud but the bald scientist uh podcast and um our guest tonight is one pagan he is a scientist an author professor and uh seems like a pretty inquisitive person i highly recommend his books um you can check out two of them down below uh, Strange Survivors is one of them, and then the other one is Stoned Flies, or no, I'm sorry, Drunk Flies and Stone Dolphins, uh, which I highly recommend, <clears throat> especially since on the show I preach learning philosophy and pharmacology and understanding these compounds since we talk about them and everything. Like, know, you know, what's going on. Let's try and figure it out. And, and his books really do a great job of breaking it down, and they're not super dense or over you know they don't use scientific terms that are almost impossible to understand like a scientific paper so go check those out they're on audible too so if you like listening to books go check those out for sure um but yeah can go check out his podcast go subscribe the bald scientist one word um you can check them out on spotify apple um yeah i, ch- I checked out a few episodes really loved it so um and yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do our thing here. I'm getting over a little bit of a sickness, but I'm uh, aside from some aches and some chills and pains, I'm doing okay. But uh, so tonight we're gonna talk about animal pharmacology, you know, entheogens, psychedelic. I guess it's not entheogen unless 
they actually know what they're doing and it's religious for them. But uh, psychedelics, psychoactive compounds, things of that nature, um, stuff I've been fascinated with for years and questions that I have and stuff like that. So if you have a question um, and you're watching on YouTube, feel free to add it to the live stream and I will try to get to it uh, when I get a chance. Um, if you want to support Mind Escape, the best way to do it is to click the link tree link down below. Plenty of ways to do it. Merch store, leave us a nice review, you name it. It's all in there. I'm not going to go through a whole spiel. So um, without further ado, welcome on the show. One, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me on, Mike. No problem. I know we tried to set this up. I think you actually, you might have reached out to me right after I had, I'm trying to think, Bobby Azarian on a while back. And we were talking. Mike Masters. Oh, Mike Masters. Mike okay. Masters. Hey, there you yeah. go. Um, and uh, yeah, we tried to set it up and things just, you know, didn't come together, but here we are. Um, and I'm glad we, we are because like I said, I really enjoy your work and you're very, the way you present things is kind of like what Richard Feynman said, which is like, you know, what's, you know, the intelligence or a sign of intelligence is being able to uh, explain something in a simplified way for everybody to understand something along those lines. And I think you do a great job of that in your books for sure. So, well, thank you so much. That's very kind. And, uh, comparing that style to Feynman's is high praise indeed. <laughs> thank you. No problem. No problem. Uh, so let's just, before we get into a lot of the questions I have and the animal pharmacology and everything, give us a little bit of your background, um, where you're from, how did you get into this, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, well, thanks again for having me, and, and I say hello to all your listeners out there. Uh, my first name is Sonet. It's spelled just like the number one in English. It has a little accent on the E. Uh, the name comes from my father's name. His name was uh, Onesimus. That's uh, Greek from the Bible. But I'm Puerto Rican. Go figure. Uh, I'm sorry I don't look Latino. I don't look the part. Nothing like that. Uh, one thing that uh, it's very uh, characteristic of me, of me is that I love any and every type of science. And there was never any doubt ever since I was a kid that uh, I would end up doing something scientific. I went to college at the University of Puerto Rico, did a bachelor's in general sciences and started working, you know, life intervened. I did a master's in biochemistry also at the University of Puerto Rico. And I always wanted to do my PhD, but I had a family, I needed to work, you know, the, the usual things. Uh, one fine day, I, I was working as a technician at a medical school in Puerto Rico and a collaborator of my supervisors came to the medical school. He was a professor at Cornell University. He came recruiting people. And uh, they they invited me to apply. I did. They interviewed me. They uh, I got a scholarship. And in so many words, I told my wife, it's freaking Cornell. <laughs> okay. So, and then uh, we moved to the mainland. Our youngest son was born in Ithaca, uh, New York. We have three children. And right now, their ranges are th almost 33 uh, until 22. So, but I and I am an unapologetic uh, nerd, science nerd. Uh, I like everything and any, anything about science, and I love talking about it. I always say that I have the best job in the world because, uh, as a university professor, I'm expected to talk about science. I'm expected to read about science. I'm expected to develop my own scholarship. 
and the students have to listen to me. <laughs> okay, so it's uh, it doesn't get any any much better than that, as it were. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, um, so when we're talking about this animal pharmacology, like what specifically is your field of research that you do when you teach as a professor and then you write papers? Like what specific, um, you know, uh, topic do you write on? Okay. Of all things, I do biochemical and behavioral pharmacology of flatworms, a specific type of flatworm called planarians. Those are the ones that you can cut their heads off and they will not die. They will regrow, regenerate their head. But more importantly, this particular type of planarians, they have a relatively sophisticated brain in the with very much the same neurotransmitters, same type of neurons that vertebrates do. And they can regenerate fully their brains. Imagine that if we ever learn how to do that, for example, a person with uh, brain damage from a car accident, some tragedy like that, or spinal cord injuries, Alzheimer's, any type of mental disease. So uh, they know how to regenerate their nervous system correctly. So, and in addition to that, they display many of the behavioral and pharmacological responses that we do upon exposure to, let's say, addictive drugs like a nicotine, for instance, the ones that the ones that I work with are freshwater planarians. If I put nicotine in the water and I leave the nicotine there for a while and then I take the nicotine away, they go into withdrawal. They start shaking. They swim like crazy. And uh, many, uh, dare I say, most of the psychoactive compounds that humans use they have an effect on these organisms. And so we have developed a research program that used them as a model organisms in pharmacology, particularly neuropharmacology. So before I even started reading your book, I was thinking to myself, what would a psychedelic or psychoactive experience look like on something that doesn't have a frontal cortex or even like a full brain or something like that? Can you, that's kind of what we're talking about here. What, what, what would that be like? Well, the thing about it is that in the case of vertebrates, they are pretty much they have pretty much the same type of nervous systems uh, system as we as we do. Okay, so they maybe they don't have a cortex that is as developed as we have it, but they do have it. But then when we go to invertebrates, we talk we talk about flies, we talk about again worms, octopuses, all these type of organisms, even though they have a brain of a very much different style from ours, many of the circuits, like the reward circuits for what we uh, interpret as pleasure or painful stimuli, they are conserved in evolution. So that's why we can use them as models for that. So of course, I like uh, joking with my students that I don't even know what I'm thinking half of the time. I I cannot tell what other people are thinking, let alone an organism of which uh, to which I cannot communicate. So uh, we have to study those by observing behavior, which can be a representation of whatever mental states they have. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, So... My question, my first question is, um, and I have a bunch of them, so get ready. Um, (laughs) So we've talked a lot about on the show psychedelics, psychedelic therapy, usually pertaining to humans, the 5-HT2A receptor agonists, you know, your common tryptamines and things like that. What, why would fungus or mushrooms evolve, um, to produce psilocybin. I've always heard it was to deter bugs or insects and things like that, but that never really seemed like a, um, a great answer considering some of my personal experiences from years back, uh, involved taking these compounds and then being told, uh, or coming out of it, wanting to be a better person, wanting to fix my life, get things together, take care of the earth. There's like a very people that take this, across you know if you're a decent person get this message like we got to take care of the earth kind of a thing so do you think that there's something within the compounds or the plants or do you think that that's our own psyche playing off of this or like what's happening there and why do these um why does this fungus and and even now they found psilocybin in cicadas too uh why why do they create this well uh, without being a psychologist i can give you a like a a layperson's answer uh, in, in that sense, but you're right. The current paradigm about why plants and thank you for talking about fungi because everybody forgets about fungi. Everybody thinks animals or, or plants, okay? But fungi are out there, and you know this uh, as well as I do. We are uh, evolutionarily speaking closer to fungi than fungi are to plants. Uh, so it, it's something that we have that, that in common. The current paradigm for psychoactive substances from plants or fungi, they are considered the first insecticides, the first pesticides, okay? So uh, let's talk about, for example, a cocaine plant or or, or a nicotine plant, uh, I'm sorry, tobacco plant, things like that. The thing about it is that if you have a small insect nibbling on the leaf of of a tobacco plant, that small amount of nicotine will be very toxic to such a small organism, okay? But then the same amount of nicotine when ingested by a human, a much bigger organism, uh, it can get toxic uh, over time because the higher amount of, of of nicotine can be toxic. Don't get me wrong. But relatively moderate amounts are psychoactive, okay? So, and that's probably an accident of how, uh, of the amount, relative amount of substances that are consumed by a particular organism, okay? So then again, there's yet another school of thought that uh, proposes that psychoactive substances substitute for neurotransmitters in people that are, for example, nutritionally deprived, uh, because most of these neurotransmitters mimic 
what I should say, I'm sorry, many of these toxic substances from plants and fungi mimic neurotransmitter systems. For example, nicotine mimics one of the most prevalent neurotransmitter systems in vertebrates, the acetylcholine system. And the thing about it is that some people think that under nutritional deprivation, of course, metabolically speaking, the production of neurotransmitters is going to be lower. But if a person consumes a substance that mimics a neurotransmitter, it's like the first nutraceuticals, uh, uh, as it were. Okay, so, but there's many hypotheses that try to explain that type of thing. As far as why humans react in a particular way to hallucinogens or entheogens, it's anybody's guess at some point. Uh, and whoever tells anybody, okay, we know why, mm, that, take that with a grain of salt, because no, no, not every, I don't think anybody knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to get too mystical. I was just sharing my experiences. And one of the messages, a, a, a reoccurring message has been, we need to take care of the earth. So, um, and they live on the earth, you know, so. Um, but uh, so while we're on this topic, what do you think about the stoned ape hypothesis or theory? Um, do you think that there's any merit to that, that humans evolved alongside of these things and it increased any sort of cognition or visual acuity or something like that? Uh, well, there we can see this in two ways, in two ways. To a very hungry person, if you see mushrooms, even if it's on, on dung, okay, they're going to eat it, uh, 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 right? And then if those, uh, just by serendipity, a certain type of uh, fungi or mushroom produces a substance that induces pleasurable sensations to a human they will take care of that they would start cultivating it. the same thing with pretty much any other uh, substances as far as opening uh, consciousness that's yet another word for which uh, no serious scientist will say well yeah we know what consciousness is because we really don't uh, and and that's another it's so we agree richard dawkins isn't a serious scientist then I'm well, joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm giving you a hard time. No, no, no. Uh, trust me. Uh, he's not my cup of tea. <laughs> Let's put it this way. He he is a very good scientist, and he writes very sensical about the things he knows about. Okay. Uh, he writes about evolutionary theory. He writes about computer modeling of behavior. He's fantastic. But when he goes out of his wheelhouse. Well, it's just as a lay person as you or I. Yeah, I mean, I agree from the stuff that I've seen when he dabbles around. But yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, one of the one main things here, and this is in your book, I want to talk about is the dolphin and puffer fish um, uh, connection here. So if anybody's seen this, you can go online. There's dolphins that will literally grab puffer fish um, kind of like squeeze them. I don't know if they're killing them or yeah, I'm sure they eventually die, but they're squeezing them in their, their beaks or jaws, whatever. And it's emitting some sort of, you can see it. It's like a muddy looking thing coming out. I mean, that, who knows what that, that is, or if that's even the thing that they're trying to get at, but, um, they're passing it around like it's a football and everybody's grabbing it and swimming around with it. And you can tell that they're having an ecstatic experience. Um, 
what is the compounds that they're they're that's doing that number one and do we know when this started okay so a, a few years ago i want to say in 2008 or so a documentary filmmaker was doing like uh, again a documentary about a dolphin pod and whatnot and when they went uh, underwater to film them they noticed that behavior as you described they take puffer fish and they were passing it around and according to their observations for all intents and purposes the dolphins look as if they were intoxicated okay so that that was one of the a little frustrating parts to write uh, in, in my book because i i am fastidious about referencing my sources uh, okay meaning that uh, in science again you you reference papers you provide evidence and whatnot in that case when we what we have is an anecdote but then it's a very interesting anecdote because the substance that it's prevalent on puffer fish is a toxin and a particularly nasty one it's called tetrodotoxin it's actually widespread in nature uh, blue ring oct octopuses, they have it. Uh, uh, oh, that's what the puffer fish is. I mean, I know the blue ring octopus yeah. is, is a definitely yes. a, a venomous uh, octopus. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that toxin has, has no antidote. Uh, okay. So that's, uh, it's a paralytic toxin. It's really nasty. But, but it can cause psychoactive effects in some people because it has some uh, usefulness as certain therapies. They're trying to develop into that. There's a couple of things. At, at a first, uh, as a first approximation, we would assume that the nervous system of, of, of dolphins is very similar to ours and whatnot for a, a variety of reasons. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that they have certain differences that tetrodotoxin First, don't, doesn't kill them because they are huge organisms compared to, to us. And that they have certain differences in their receptors, particular nerve cells or, or whatnot, that induces psychoactive responses. And I'm, uh, every month or so, I do a literature search to, search to see if somebody ha has figured that out. But that's such, such a, a, an interesting topic. And such a really good observation that induces uh, further research. So, uh, but but then again, it's frustrating because I want to know more, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, I mean, it's um, you added this in your book, and I'm happy you did. You add like a little bit of ancient context and and, and where these ideas come from, which I'm huge on origin stories and trying to yes. figure out where the origins of these things. Are. But you you know, you talk about Paracelsus. Dose makes the poison, which is kind of what you're talking about here, like something our size, you know, this thing might kill you, obviously, but something a little bit bigger, maybe with a little bit more neurodiversity can withstand whatever this thing is and causes a, a, a big uh, punch there. Um, another thing, kind of since we're on ocean, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show. It was on Vice for a few years. It's called Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia with Hamilton Morris. Um, mm, you should definitely... You should definitely check it out. It's all about psychedelics, but there's a lot of stuff in there I think that you would get a, um enjoyment out of. But um, okay. there's an episode on fish inebriation where he goes to um, Reunion Island, I believe, and um, they they eat fish heads in this, like, stew, and something with... 
these fish, it's called fish inebriation, something, I don't know how to pronounce it, ichthyotoxin or something. I forget how to pronounce it's, uh, but they eat these fish heads and it causes like sleep paralysis and hallucinations and all sorts of stuff. And the, the, the locals there, that's part of their like tradition. Like it's like a Sunday night dinner, but he goes there and tries this thing and, um, he's trying to speculate like what could be causing these effects like what are in and, and the only thing he could think of is the fish because they were eating like parrot fish and some other kind of fish um that the fish are maybe eating some sort of coral or sea you know yeah. flora that's causing some sort of you know uh actually that, that, that's very interesting and really uh logical because many animals uh can produce psychoactive substances. Think about all, all the different types of frogs and toads that are psychoactive, uh, okay? So I, I didn't know that particular case, but I'm gonna take a look at it because uh, it's uh, it's super interesting, thank you. I'll send you the link, It's uh, but yeah. I highly recommend the show because he he's uh, like a chemist nerd too, and he everything has to do with psychedelics, but he's trying to investigate kind of like how you are with animals, but he does it with like humans and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that one's fascinating. Um, the other uh, question would be, you just mentioned frogs and toads. So we know 5-MeO comes out of Bufo alvaris. Now, what would cause that specific toad to create that compound versus, let's say, Bufo from a different region that has a little bit of a different um, environment? Well, as you well mentioned before, it could be a dietary thing. Maybe they are ingesting a particular type of insects, though, that which are the ones that produce that particular compound, or maybe uh, can be a product of their own metabolism. So that that's there's a whole a field of chemical ecology in which uh, it's I'm not an expert in that bio by any means but uh, it's a really huge field in which people study chemical warfare in organisms plant animal and fungi uh, and it's fascinating because that goes to a, a very uh, you mentioned Richard Dawkins before uh, the idea of evolutionary arms races uh, in the sense that they can, some organisms can produce a certain uh, type of toxin. Then the, the prey is going to become resistant, but then the original organism becomes more poisonous and, and so on and so forth uh, until we can get incredibly poisonous, let's say salamanders, and incredibly resistant to poison garter snakes. This is an actual uh, example, one of the first that was described in evolutionary arm races. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I used to had my bouts with gardener snakes back in the day. Um, definitely gotten bit by a few of those. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Oh, I wanted to ask you. So in October, maybe it was last October, I got bit by a spider on my ankle. And I'm trying to figure out what it is. I end up catching these things in these glue traps. There's like a bunch of them. And they were only kind of spiders in my basement. So it's the only thing that could have really bitten me. And I looked it up. It's a broad-faced sack spider. And okay. I looked it up. My leg got like super infected. It looks like even it took like three months to heal. You would have thought I got bit by like a black widow or a tarantula or a brown recluse or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I looked it up. It says that they eat other toxic um, 
bugs like centipedes and everything that creates some sort of cytotoxin and then it creates a secondary infection in humans. So like what other, is that like a common thing for venomous animals to, to get their defenses from things that they eat and then. Oh, you're going to love, you're going to love <laughs> what I'm going to tell you. Okay. There are certain types of, I want to say sea slugs. I'm not entirely sure of the particular species, but you know that, for example, jellyfish and related organisms, they, they, they stink. Okay. Uh, they have specialized cells that have little sacks of venoms uh, of, of venom and they are like little darts. Okay. That that's why they they stink. But this particular sea hairs, I want to say, if, if I'm mistaken, please forgive me. They not only eat uh, certain types of jellyfish, they don't get stung. And to add insult to injury, they can install their, uh, uh, the cells, the cell, the venomous sacs with cells on their own skin, and they can steal that particular weaponry from uh, jellyfish and related organisms. So now... Is that like those blue angels? See, I see these people like, it says, this is the most venomous tiny thing, and then there's people holding a bunch I of think, them in their hand. Like, what are you I doing? I think they're related. <laughs> I think they're related to them. But then the, the really cool thing about it is that those cells in jellyfish, they, they are... They, they have a hair like trigger okay so you, you don't need it you don't need to uh, annoy the jellyfish you, you, the, he, I'm sorry get enthusiastic and my accent gets uh, thicker the jellyfish, oh, we're you, hearing you loud and clear you're good just keep going okay so you only need to to touch it to get stung so how are they able to capture those cells without triggering it so I'm, I'm betting that it's something pharmacological, that they stop their particular mechanism of uh, fighting, for lack of a better word, something like that. And there's many organisms that do that. Uh, there's, for example, certain types of, well, they call it rats, but they are more like uh, weird skunks uh, in Africa. One of the things that they do is that they take, for example, toxic plants, they chew on it, and they coat themselves with the chewed toxin secretion of the plant. Okay, so how can that evolve? Uh, who was the first? Which was the first animal who thought about it and then survived? So I'm fascinated by those things. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I, I love this conversation. Like I said, I, I knew uh, when you sent me your book. I think you sent me like a PDF a while back, and I look started looking at it. I'm like, oh, I'll just because I do a lot of audiobooks too, like while I'm working and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I, I love what you're doing, and I love your fascination. I think that complexity science and kind of going across boundaries too, and applying what you know about whether it's planarians or whatever, and incorporating that into other um, topics. I think we need more of that because I think that that's why people get frustrated with. And probably, and maybe you could speak to this, but it seems like there's a lot of frustrated scientists online and stuff, and they fight with a lot of people. They get aggravated about people asking what are considered dumb questions, or maybe that's just the person or whatever. But um, it seems like when you get too deep into your own rabbit hole as a scientist, it's it's you know it gets a little monotonous, maybe or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, look, obviously, I'm biased towards science, but one thing that that I feel very strongly, and this sounds like a cliche, but I really mean it. There's no dumb questions. Uh, okay, if you don't know something, ask about it. One thing that I think makes me, uh, gives me a specific perspective on that 
is that one of my biggest courses right now, it's biological sciences for non-majors. I have like a, a big amphitheater with 250 people of majors throughout the university, literature, education, uh, I, I don't know, uh, economics. So people who don't like science, okay, and that's okay. Not everybody has to like what we what we like, but that they are there just because they have to take the course. So I have to be a performer, okay, because I have to make the class interesting for them. And science, it's perfectly uh, situated to, to talk about interesting things. Okay, uh, some of the examples that I've given you about the organisms that steal the weaponry, I use that uh, in a general biology class like that. Uh, and, and you know, uh, and I, I would like to think that I get the, their attention. So then again, the, this idea that science is something that it's only the purview of a selected few, it's stupid. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, anybody interested enough in science can learn about it. Okay. That's and another thing I love about you. You seem like an amazing science communicator, which I think that this world, this world lacks that. And when we, they come along, we notice, you know, like, you know, whether you like Neil Tice to grass or whatever, a lot of people don't like him because he doesn't believe in aliens or whatever, like whatever you think about these people, like he's an amazing science communicator. You know, you'll learn more about the universe from listening to a three hour podcast of him on Joe Rogan than you will probably picking up a textbook on, on the matter, you know? So, um, there's, there's something to be said about that. And, uh, like I said, you're an amazing science communicator. You. Your books are well-written, easy to understand. And I highly recommend people go check them out. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about now too, is kind of where all this stuff comes from. So like we split from what octopi octopuses 500 million years ago, roughly. I've read that paper about them being potentially alien, but I don't, you know, I know that there's a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of pushback on that. Um, but okay. So 500 million years ago. So that means that, and they've re in that paper with the MDMA, they react to MDMA. So they have serotonin receptors. Yep. Um, so if that's the case, that means that serotonin is at very least 500 million years old. How Absolutely. old do you think serotonin is? And do you think that that's one of the first, um, you know, receptors, if you will, or, uh, you know, uh, what do you, what would you call it? External feedback or perception or something? Well, uh, it can even go before from before vertebrates because many microorganisms bacteria like amoebas things like that they do have receptors for many types of neurotransmitters uh, including if i'm not mistaken serotonin okay and that's the beauty of it that throughout evolution species like co-opt what allows them to survive and then it passes on to the next generation and then down the line they can be useful for something else and for something else and for something else and for entities like us okay we can get uh, our consciousness again whatever that is stimulated by serotonin something that probably started as a signaling molecule because that's the thing even bacteria okay display behavior they can swim towards nutrients or away from a toxin and they don't have anything closely reminiscent to a nervous system and they display behavior 
Uh, okay, so uh, even though uh, they may not be complex in that sense, the kernel of whatever we think of as behavior in quote unquote higher organisms was already there. Yeah, after I watched that documentary, I don't know if you've seen an octopus teacher uh, on Netflix. I've heard about it. It's in my queue. As you should, you should watch it. But uh, after watching that, I will never eat another octopus again. Um, yeah. Squid. Now, those guys are bastards. Eat as much squid as you want. They'll, they'll drown your ass off the coast of uh, yeah. California. Those, those what are they, uh, Devil or Humboldt squid or whatever? Oh, my God. Yes, they yeah. they try and drown swimmers. I don't know if you've seen these videos. They'll come up and I try and pull. Yeah. Seen the video, but you know they are nasty. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, eat your calamari. Don't eat your octopus. Um, okay. <laughs> uh so okay, so back to this. So like, I don't know that that paper, the MDMA paper, which which I, I found funny that the octopus was trying to hug the other octopus's yeah. thing uh, container, uh, almost like how a human would react on MDMA to hugging each other, being close, you know. Um, so you know, there's a lot there, and um, you know, I think that we're a lot closer. In your books, you mentioned this. We're a lot closer to the animal world than we think we are. It's almost like we do ourselves a disservice by making ourselves feel separate or telling ourselves we're so much different than other primates in the animal world or whatever. But in reality, we're all kind of big sacks of endogenous chemicals and nervous systems, right? I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, we are cells, a bunch of cells trying to understand nature. That's it. And, and of course, there's other considerations about morality, spirituality, things like that. But science has nothing to, to say uh, about that. Yeah, I've always said science is really good uh, at explaining how things work, but not good at explaining why things work. Absolutely, yeah, you got it. Um, so what else did I want? Oh, okay, so... You mentioned dinosaurs and how they found claviceps perpea, which is very fascinating to me. So I don't know if you're familiar, but there's a lot of talk about the Eleusinian mysteries in ancient Greece and its connection. And they found ergot and claviceps and a lot of these chalices and stuff like that. Um, and it grows in the area of Eleusis. Now, are you, do you think it's possible that dinosaurs were somehow, you know, getting high off this stuff because i because er, uh claviceps or ergot itself is actually pretty toxic to human beings like i don't mm -hmm. know you should never take that i mean it is a precursor for lsd but um it's not like lsa which you could get from like a morning glory or a baby woodrose or something like that um this is something that would make you convulse and throw up and stuff like that so it, it's uh, again, it's logical that, for example, if a dinosaur could get their proverbial hands on a bunch of uh, uh, of the psychoactive fungus, they, uh, again, it's hard to, to say, but in all likelihood, their nervous system is not much different from the uh, nervous system of a rept another reptile, uh, okay? So, uh, and again, uh, based on what we talked about the octopus before, they certainly had the same type of neurotransmitters, circuits, behaviors, all these type of things. So, and and it would be a, a sight uh, to see a big dinosaur intoxicated, uh, okay, from a distance. Let's just say yeah, that would but, be awesome. But, yeah. Um. So, okay. I mean, 
we're talking about a lot of hypothetical stuff here. I think a lot of this stuff comes down to tryptophan, right? Isn't that the first important thing when it comes to breaking down enzymes and ingesting these compounds and things of that nature? How Do we know how old tryptophan is? Well, tryptophan is one of the 20 biologically relevant neurotransmitters. Okay, so it's been around the, the proverbial forever. Uh, in our planet. It's a relatively simple compound and it's uh, in everywhere. Anything alive contains tryptophan, but it happens to be one of the precursors of this line of neurotransmitters. Okay. Just like in the same way, other neurotransmitters are the, uh, I'm sorry, other amino acids are the precursors of neurotransmitters. For example, uh, glutamic acid, it's the most prevalent neurotransmitter in any nervous system. And it's also an amino acid in its own right, uh, in proteins, uh, okay? So uh, the same thing with many others. So, but uh, uh, again, what I'm trying to say is tryptophan is a, a very basic building block of, of proteins, and it has been co-opted as a signaling molecule, as a precursor of a signaling molecule, I should say. Interesting, interesting. Is there any animal or insect that we know that gets high on their own supply, meaning that they create something and then they also become, you know, they become psychoactive to them from their own bodies? Because, like, the only reason why I ask is obviously we have proven we produce DMT. DMT is also one of the most psychedelic compounds you can imagine. So is there anything in the animal or insect kingdom that has something similar? Not that, not to my knowledge not that not, nothing that comes to mind but that's a very interesting qu question N now you're making me think uh, and i thank you for that <laughs> that's all we try and do here is you know critically think and ask interesting questions and these are this is just yeah. stuff i'm interested in and like i said when i appreciate somebody's work and i think that they do great stuff it, it inspires me too because like you know doing this podcast for six years you know there's certain things that maybe i was interested in five years ago four years ago it's no longer hitting that you know hitting that zone for me so, so i got to yeah. branch out and you know your books came along at a great time and um yeah it's just something i've been fascinated with i'm trying to get into the origins and look at like our evolution evolution in general and um yeah so um is there anything you can think of that um in terms of um bizarre behaviors from animals that instead of, you know, like we talked about the dolphins, is there anything else that, you know, you want to actually, can we talk about the drunken flies? Let's talk about the drunken flies for a second. Absolutely. That that's something that I got very amused when I began to, to do the research for the book, because going to taking a step back, I began thinking about animals and drugs based on my own experiments with planaria. Uh, because uh, then I started thinking, well, what other animals uh, can get intoxicated? And uh, and it opened uh, a new world for me. I wasn't aware that there were so many. But then the funny thing about uh, uh, Drosophila, it's the fruit flies, is that they, uh, especially the male ones, when they are uh, devoid of female companionship, if you get my meaning, they prefer to feed on fermented fruit as opposed to fresh fruit. Okay, so when they are prevented from 
interacting with females, they, they do that. So, and uh, all the jokes about drowning your sorrows when you're re rejected, it's pretty much the same thing for male drosophila, okay? But then, uh, for example, female drosophila, they also preferentially lay their eggs in fermented fruit in many cases. But in that case, it's just to protect their eggs against other predators that they are so uh, that it's something uh, so fascinating that probably the very first psychoactive drug that we get in got in touch with alcohol okay is something that again it didn't start with us <laughs> it, it began with our animal cousins millions of years ago and then we can go fast forward to the idea of the drunken monkey hypothesis. So th this is the uh, yet another, it's like a parallel of the stone ape hypothesis. Is, yeah, is that the one where they're eating fermented fruits and become, yeah, okay. Exactly. But there's uh, a little bit more uh, scientific evidence for that one as opposed to the stone ape hypothesis because why is it so toxic to us still though like obviously like for, okay so me personally i'm not i am not an alcohol fan i've had you know people die in my family from alcoholism that's not why i just i even anytime i've i'll drink a cold you know modello on a on a hot day or something like that or i'll have one or two but i don't really enjoy alcohol as a compound compared to other compounds like you know cannabis or psilocybin or whatever yeah. it just it feels like it's not supposed to be in our bodies to me and i know well, most of us don't produce it endogenously some people do right but, but because they can get uh, the current understanding is that they can get uh for example a bad yeast infection and in sensitive people they can produce high amounts of uh alcohol in their blood so that's interesting that's i didn't know that you could so there's people that actually produce alcohol in yeah, their body oh yeah. wow i didn't even know there, that there's been cases of people that have been uh mistakenly accused of being drunk because of drinking and whatnot but only to be demonstrated that they can produce it endogenously that's so, crazy I, that's it, fascinating it yeah. Oh, yeah, it is absolutely nuts. There's not very many cases about that, but it's been documented. But the thing about it, I'm just like you. My limit is like one beer when I mow the lawn. Okay, Th things like that. That, that, that. That's me. But then it's a compound that in moderation is not going to uh, be poisonous to, uh, to you. Uh, okay. But then it's a cost-benefit uh, uh, ratio. Let's suppose that you are a, a small primate, okay? Again, under nutritional deprivation, and you are uh, undernourished. But then those uh, fermented fruit not only have the vitamins and minerals and whatnot, but alcohol is rich in calories, right? So, so uh, one of the things that they uh, advise people who want to lose weight and whatnot, well, try not to drink because alcohol has a very high caloric uh, content. But if you are undernourished in the wild, that's what you want to get as many calories as, as you can. Well, okay. that was the uh, argument, too, for like the beginning of civilization, right? Like water was such gross, filled with parasites and bacteria that that's why alcohol was kind of like a um, an accelerant on civilization. And you would find in Gobekli Tepe and ancient Egypt, you would find the bakery next to the brewery because of the yeast. So. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. 
So, I mean, though, I mean, it still is talking like, you know, like you said, like little amounts. But does that add up? Uh, you know, I know your liver can recover pretty well compared to other organs and stuff like oh, yeah. that. But um, is it something that like you the old adage, like if you have one cigarette, it takes seven years off your like whatever myth that was growing up. It's like you smoke. It takes seven days off your life. Or is that the same thing with alcohol where like no amount is good for you, but you can tolerate it kind of a thing or it's going to depend on the person because uh, the amount of genetic variability that we have uh, as a species some people are going to be hypersensitive to uh, uh, I know how to explain it there's there's a branch of pharmacology called pharmacogenetics okay and that goes to the idea that right now pharmaceutical practices uh most sizes fit most okay what i'm trying to say is that for example you go to the doctor and they find that you have hypertension okay she prescribes a certain medication against high blood pressure they begin with a very small dose and then they told you they tell you come back in three months they check you out if you still hypertense they will give you a little bit of medicine until you get to the maximum uh, amount that is safe if that still doesn't work, they test another uh, hypertension hypertension medicine. So the the dream, as it were, is in a Star Trek society that they will scan you and they will tell you, okay, the medicine that you need is this one in this concentration, in this uh, dosage. But it's the same thing with alcohol. I can get dizzy with a beer. That's part of the reason why my limit is one beer while mowing the lawn, okay? Some people need more, quite more than a beer to get the same amount of dizziness. That's based on our genes too, okay? So then again, we will not know until we do the proverbial experiment. And that's, uh, let's put it this way. I wouldn't try to taste uh, a mushroom that I don't know about, okay? That can nourish me, can get me high, but it can also kill me. Right. So I don't want to be the subject of that experiment, if you don't want I mean. Yeah, you got to be careful. Even ones, I mean, you know, there's so many. Mushroom idine is probably the one of the most dangerous things. I see people online all the time on like forums like, can I eat this mushroom? Don't eat the mushroom. <laughs> don't. Yeah, if you don't know what it is and you're not an expert, don't eat it because yeah. there's a good chance that it's not what you think it is. And even... You know, there's a lot of people be like, oh, this is Amanita. Yeah, it's a different kind of an Amanita. It's Panthera. It's not Muscaria. And, it, you know, it's the, it's got different effects. And, you know, you better know how to get rid of the Ibita, convert the Ibotanic acid into Muscamol before you start, you know, that uh, kind of stuff. I'm sorry for interrupting. What if you're, you turn to be allergic and you don't know it? Exactly. Uh, like, oh, yeah. Like a allergy. Game yeah. Over. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what interests you? Like, what fa is there anything fascinating to you right now in the, in these realms that like a mystery or something that you're you're getting into? Um, I always ask this because like it's one thing for us to read your book and be fascinated, but is there something that you find mysterious or you find interesting? Well, uh, it's kind of out of my direct area of expertise, but I'm learning a little a little bit about it. It's the idea that quantum mechanics has a lot to do with farm, has more to do with pharmacology than we would like to realize. Okay. 
So, and I'm not talking about for people when they say, well, everything is quantum. That's a pet peeve that I have. Uh, when, when people say, well, I, we don't understand quantum. Okay, so that that's not the way it works. Uh, okay, but then there's a lot of lines of evidence that indicate that quantum effects affect pharmacological agents. And that's a, an area of research that's beginning to, to come about. There's a, a whole... A, uh, like body of knowledge called uh, quantum biology that people have found that photosynthesis deals with quantum effects, okay? Many types of DNA interactions in terms of how DNA find their basis and all these type of things. So it's uh, about quantum effects. I so, rec- I don't know who I was talking to. I recently found out there's different types of photosynthesis too. Yes. Yeah, I didn't that, know. That, I didn't know. You just learn like, yeah. oh, photosynthesis, but there's different. It's crazy. Um, yeah. Not only that, there's a, a type of insect that uh, evolved a type of photosynthesis different from the photosynthesis in plants. And I'll do you one better. There's a such thing as radiotrophic fungi, certain types of uh, fungus that they grow up in the inside of nuclear reactors and they use radioactivity as their source of it's not photosynthesis yeah. because it's not right but but they use it as a kind of photosynthesis based on radiation yeah i read yeah. that because they were talking about chernobyl um yes that's part of and the then and then there's another one now where they're saying now there's fungi that can break down plastics like forever plastic yeah. somehow yeah. so yeah. and bacteria they they uh the, it's uh, biotechnology is something uh it, it's beautiful uh, it, it's a little scary but 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 it's beautiful i mean they, uh, they can do pretty much anything so um in terms of you know we're talking about all this amazing stuff is there you know, I mentioned before, like learning pharmacology at an early age to avoid people growing up and not knowing what, you know, fentanyl or whatever these harmful substances are. And to understand that, like we live in a world now where even if you are a partier doing recreational drugs, you got to be careful because the yeah. cocaine might be laced with fentanyl or the heroin might be laced with fentanyl or the, you know, and while some of these compounds, even MDMA, I've heard too so it's like anything powder you got to be careful you got to test your stuff if you are going to do that nobody recommends that but if you are going to that you test your stuff we've lost countless people um family members friends to the whole fentanyl thing it's just it's very um and you mentioned in your book when you start off you're talking about opioids actually or opiates and um, you have your opiates, which are all derivative of the actual plant, and then you have the semi-synthetic ones. Is fentanyl's synthetic, correct? It's not. It's yeah. not even related to the poppy plant at all, right? So it, it's similar, but but it's a synthetic compound. So that one, that's one where the the dose. <laughs> you know, all you need is a little dose for it to be poison, which is crazy. Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, we go back to what we were talking about. Someone, someone can be resistant to it, but somebody may be hypersensitive to that. So, uh, and uh, again, drug addiction is something. Uh, it's a tragedy at so many levels, and and uh, as a parent, uh, I mean, uh, that terrifies me still. So, that's yeah. one of the scariest things. Um, 
especially if you've got young kids now, you know, what is the world going to look like in 10 years or five years or whatever? Um, so, okay. So we're talking about something that's super minute that can have a massive impact on us. But is there, I was thinking, you know how, like they say like, oh, ants can carry 300 times their body weight yeah. or any, is there some insect or animal that can withstand serious amounts of some sort of thing that would kill anything else or something like that? Does that make sense? That question? Uh, yes. I, I know exactly what you mean. And there's one, there's a particular type of insect that actually feeds on coca plants. Okay, and they can ingest massive uh, amounts of uh, of the plant, and of course, uh, cocaine, the active principle, and they don't get uh, it. It doesn't. It's not an insecticide uh, to them. Okay, so and they it, it's most most likely uh, an artifact of their metabolism. Maybe they metabolize it very rapidly they inactivate it very rapidly they can use that they can actually accumulate that in their bodies presumably to protect themselves as a population so are they synth so when it comes into their body are they synthesizing it into something else or is it just staying in their body as cocaine uh most likely they'll metabolize it okay i'm not entirely familiar with that Let's put it this way. I'm not an expert in that particular uh, area, but most likely as a general rule, everything gets metabolized uh, in a body. Okay. So anything uh, and everything. That's part of the reason why you have to be careful with dosages of medications and whatnot, because sometimes it gets changed into substances that you're going to excrete. Okay. The usual suspects. That's part of the idea. But sometimes they will transform into toxic things, right? Ethanol can be transformed into something called acetaldehyde, for example, which can be highly toxic. So, but in as a general rule, even though the liver is the main uh, organ of metabolism, every cell in your body and mind, they have certain degree of metabolic capabilities. So that, that's how they survive. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Very interesting. Um, I don't know. Have you seen these that lately? Them using how they're using AI to try and communicate with the whales and the, the dolphins and stuff. I've heard about it, and it's that's super oh. fascinating because that that has implications. And if and when we discover life elsewhere, because one of the main uh, oh, actually, the, this goes. Uh, you're gonna love this one. There was a scientist in the 1960s that he actually gave LSD to dolphins, actually. And I forget what, uh, what's the, the name. Are you talking the... about um, John C. Lilly? Yes, that, that's the one. And he yeah. had the deprivation tanks and he was injecting ketamine, trying to communicate. Yeah. But we know they, about they, that on this show. Well, yeah, but <laughs> the link, the link uh, of Lilly with the search for extraterrestrial intelligence 
is that in the very first conference, when are, I'm sure you're familiar with the Drake equation and all, all these type of things, in the meeting where uh, Frank Drake came up with the Drake equation, one of the attendees was John Lilly, because they reasoned that if we hope to communicate with some place, some some something uh, out there, we first learn should learn how to communicate with things in our own planet. And Lily was trying, was a pioneer to try to communicate with dolphins. Then he went uh, out of, you know, uh, he, there were many, you know. Hey man, I mean, when, when you start playing with altered states of consciousness and deprivation yeah. tanks, you can get out there and, um, you know, you know, it, it, just, it happens. But like you said, there's probably some good nuggets in there from the early days at least. And, um, you know, that's something that's interesting, too, because dolphins, don't they have a larger frontal cortex than we do? They have a, their whole brain is bigger than ours, especially for uh, in proportion to their bodies. So uh, so uh, is, but but isn't the the prevailing wisdom that is it's our front like our frontal cortex um, is what kind of distinguishes us cog cognitively from the rest of like we have a large frontal. So if they have a massive frontal cortex there's probably a good chance that we probably can communicate with them and they are super intelligent. Yeah. Maybe they just don't have the hands and appendages and posable thumbs and tools that we've evolved with. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. They, they don't have the, the, the digits to, to create a technological intelligence. Uh, no. Very fascinating. Um, well, listen, let's try and wrap it up here, but I, I mean, I, we could do this forever. So let's, let's try and maybe set up another time for you to come back on. I'd Absolutely. love to I'll be happy to do that. And I'm I just a little under the weather, but like this is super fascinating to me, like I said, and I'm, I'm excited. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I got to finish your your one book, Still Strange Survivors. So um, once I finish that, maybe we can get you back on here and uh, continuing the conversation here. But uh, is there anything else you want to plug? You're doing your podcast. I would actually from, you know, I'm, I'm not one to tell, but I would like to see you interview some of these people that are doing the research on these, you know, cocaine insects and, you know, uh, you know, that, puffer fish. And I'm thinking about that. Uh, I have a lot of plans for that uh, because I, I like so many things that uh, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> you know, I, I know, you know exactly what I mean. So, oh, absolutely. But, yeah, it, it's something that that's in the plans, but, but again, I thank you for, for having me. I love talking about this and, uh, I really appreciate it. I really oh, oh, no problem. No problem. Like I said, I, I mean, I was asking you things that I've wondered about for a while and reading your book definitely, like I said, inspired me. And um, lately I haven't, you know, I'm such an avid reader. I've read probably a thousand books since this podcast, you know, maybe even more and tons of scientific papers since we started this podcast. And lately I just haven't felt much like it but you know you're i'm like i'm gonna check out this book and your book kind of re-got me into it and i'm always listening to like plato dialogues at night and weird stuff like that but this kind of reinvigorated me into the whole you know mystery thing and trying to figure out these these modern mysteries if you will especially with animals because i love animals i grew up being very close to animals having pets and um, going to aquariums and having, you know, pet basilic lizards and all sorts of different things. So, um, 
Yeah. Trevor, uh, 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 that's high praise again, and uh, that's what it's about. And uh, if you have any other questions, if your listeners have questions, uh, they can send me an email. Uh, they can send me a message through my website, boldscientist.com. They have a form there. I, I, I love talking about science, so <laughs> I, I'll welcome any type of documentary. Please do that. If anybody's listening, please send, if you're interested in any of this, please send him an email and check out his podcast, Bald Scientist, all one word. Uh, check out his books, Strange Survivors and Drunken Flies and Stone Dolphins, which I really recommend both of them. I've I have I've only like a third of the way through, and they're not super long, by the way, so they're very palatable. I think, um, I think uh, you know, on Audible, I don't know how many pages there, but on Audible, I think Strange Survivors is only like nine hours long, which is actually not super long, you know, compared. So, um, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and your your years of research and experience. And you're curious too, and I love that. I, I, I love talking with scientists that are having open dialogues about things and just pondering like everybody else and not standing from, you know, grandstanding, oh, I know this and I know that. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, definitely everybody needs to go check out your stuff and your podcast. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing your guests too on your podcast. Like I said, I, I, I you know, I, I just, um, you get lost sometimes, but this was refreshing and, uh, I love, uh, I love these topics and I know it's nerdy, but here we are, you know, well, well you're in good company, so I'll keep you posted. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, and if you'd like to support mind escape, just click the link tree link down below. We've got merch stores. If you want to leave us a nice review, we do all of our shows live on YouTube and I actually even stream it to X as well, or formerly known as Twitter, if you will. Um, and uh, you can check us out on there and all of our episodes go on to Spotify. We have video episodes on Spotify. Please check us out on there. And uh, yeah, we're on all podcast platforms. So I really appreciate this, uh, One. And uh, I like where you're going with all this and I look forward to your future research and podcasts and everything. And um, we'll try and get you back on here soon. Well, thanks again. Anytime. All right. Well, we love everybody. Stay safe out there. And we'll see you at episode 300. And Maurice, I should mention, and I could have brought this up in the episode, but we'll talk about it. I wanted to save it. Maurice just got back, who's my co-host and cousin, just got back from the Galapagos Islands. So, um, yeah. So that should be a fascinating. You want to hear about animals? We're going to be talking about some animals there, too. So, um, But, yeah, we love everybody. Stay safe out there, and uh, we'll catch you next time.